we give uh, Lauren and Steve, uh, just thank them for sharing their story. Uh, it's funny, when you ask somebody to share their story or to tell you their story, they oftentimes say yes, and then you show up at their house with a video camera, and then they're not as happy about it. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, they're awesome. Uh, I love Lauren and Steve and Asher, and uh, Wu-Tang shirts are always appropriate here at South Hills Church. So if there's any questions, um, if you don't know, now you know. There it is. Uh, hey, um, my name's Chris Kretsu. I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you guys for being here. Happy Easter. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Uh, that, that is something I grew up in a church. I grew up in a Methodist church, and every single Easter, uh, we would get this thing where the, the pastor, who I was close with, it was my dad, uh, he would say in his robe and with a choir behind him, and he would say, he is risen. And then everybody would be like, he is risen indeed. And I was like, yes, I get to shout in church. It was like my favorite part of church as a kid. Uh, but there is something about Easter that, uh, that I love. It's one of the greatest days to be in church because Easter Sunday, uh, it's not just another Sunday. It's not just another day. Uh, Easter is at the very core of what we believe as people that follow Jesus. Um, Paul is a writer in the New Testament, and he lived the same time as the disciples. And, and he, uh, Paul is the one that decided that the message of Jesus's love was actually for everybody. It shouldn't just be for the Jewish people. And so he kind of took it on himself to go out and tell all the people that would never hear otherwise. And in one of his letters, he wrote, he said, if it's not, if it wasn't for the resurrection, he's like, all of this would be pointless. And you should pity me, essentially, for how I spend my time, is what Paul said. So the resurrection of Jesus is at the core of, uh, of who we are. Um, it's why we believe that God is worth uh, serving and worth following. And, and it's a picture of his love. We're going to talk about that a lot. Um, this morning. Um, and uh, for many of you guys, you're here because this is your church and you come every week. And uh, some of you guys have been invited, your family, friends. Some of you guys have been bribed with like an Easter brunch afterwards. Uh, some of our dog people are here to see their adorable, furry family friends out there in the dog hunt. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of dogs out there. Uh, yeah. Uh, I like to tell this little fact. Every time we do a doggy egg hunt, I like to say, I'm not even a dog person, uh, but I know that I live in Orange County, and there's some things you just have to deal with in Orange County. So I haven't seen any doggy strollers yet today, so I'm, I'm thinking maybe uh, that'll happen. But there's a piece for whichever, whichever kind of way you ended up here today, whether this is your home, whether you're visiting, whether um, you were talked into coming. I know that there's many of you, um, like me, that have had church experiences in the past, and some of those were great experiences, and some of those may have been painful experiences. Maybe you guys have kind of grown up with a, a belief or an understanding of what church was like or what God was like, how we felt about you, um, and, and that can make it difficult sometimes to show up. I've had a conversation on more than one occasion of people saying, man, if I walk through that door, lightning would strike, you know, and there's this impression, and they kind of say it half-jokingly, but I think they also really think that they shouldn't be there, that it wouldn't be good for them to show up. Uh, and so I just want to say thank you for being here. We believe that South Hills is a place that anybody can come to. Um, and so I appreciate the courage that you have. Uh, this morning, I want to talk just a little bit, um, and I want to talk about kind of the, the fears and the understandings that we have about Christianity, about God's love for us, about Easter, some of these things. Uh, many of us grew up, if you were like me, you grew up in church every single week. I did the thing, and my church had pews, and so me and my brothers would like army crawl underneath the pews from the front to the back uh, as long as we could without getting caught. Uh, we actually, I have a picture here of Easter, I think it's 1989. 
I know. I am so cute. Uh, and actually, I was telling the, the service earlier on, I'm pretty sure I saw this same exact shirt for sale at Active uh, Ride Shop this last week. All of these clothes are now popular again. Uh, so, uh, But uh, I grew up in church, and there was an aspect of, of church, even as a pastor's kid, that I grew up with a lot of uh, this sense of fear, um, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, and I was talked to a lot, uh, not necessarily by my parents, but just in the church world about this idea that I was really messed up and uh, I have a lot of sin and that caused a lot of fear for me and it caused this sense of, man, I've got to be good enough. I've got to get it together. I have to try harder. I have to pretend like I don't have these fears or struggles or addictions or habits or whatever it is. And I carry that all through my life. And there's still parts of that that I carry today. But I want to talk just a little bit about kind of trying to set the record straight. Because if that's the experience that you've had, or if that's the impression that you've had about church, I want to try and talk through some of that. Easter Sunday, the message of Easter is not about God being angry at you. It's not about uh, breaking rules, things like that. The message of Easter and the, and, and the message of Jesus really is that God loves you and he wants to be in a relationship with you. This is what we celebrate on Easter. A verse that you've probably heard before is John 3.16. We'll have it on the screen. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, they won't die, but they will have eternal life. And the next verse, we don't really read as much, but the next verse goes on to say, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger. That's not why God did this, to tell the world how bad it was. He came to help and to put the world right again. And I don't think it would take long for us, if we were in a conversation, I don't think it would take long for us to agree that the world is broken. There's some things that, are, that happen in the world that just shouldn't be, whether it's natural disasters and we, and we look at uh, kind of the chaos caused by that, whether it's um, violence, uh, just broken relationships. I mean, it, we see it all around us, and it, it's not hard for us to agree that the world is broken. It probably wouldn't take very long for us to agree that, man, we as individuals, we're not really nailing it all the time either. We're not whole. There, there's things that I know that for me, I wish that I was better at. There's things that I wish that I was more whole. I wish I could not fail my family sometimes in the way that I do. I wish that uh, there's, there's brokenness that I struggle with. And I, I would assume that it wouldn't be long for us to be able to agree like, yeah, I'm not exactly who I am or who I want to be rather. In spite of all of our differences, it wouldn't be difficult for us to make these kind of, uh, uh, to agree on this thing. Uh, there's like I said, I grew up in, in church and in this world where a lot of the conversation was about sin and how sinful we are. And it was kind of this, like, you are nowhere near good enough and uh, you are an outsider and you should just be so thankful that God puts up with you was kind of the message that I got. And there's an aspect, this word sin, it's a real word, but I, I want to kind of reframe what it means. This, it was translated from a Hebrew word, uh, which was kata. And it literally just means to fail or to miss the goal. This is what sin means. It means to miss the goal. Um, there's a verse in Judges, is the Old Testament. It, it's talking about these Israelite warriors. And these warriors, uh, at the time, their weapon of choice was slingshots, which there's not enough movies about warriors with slingshots. Uh, and, uh, and so it talks about how skilled these warriors were. And it says this. It says, each of them could sling a rock and hit a target without kata, or without missing. They wouldn't miss the goal. They could sling a rock and hit the target without missing. 
They wouldn't fail. They wouldn't miss the goal. And this is what this word sin means. But what's the goal for us? And here's what we believe at South Hills. We believe that every person is made in the image of God and that they're worthy of love and respect, that they have value because they are human, that we care about them. Our love of God is deeply intertwined with the way that we love others. It's not separate from. You can't love God well and kind of be a jerk. You can't love people well and just ignore this other side. We, we think that there's, and it's deeply intertwined. Our love, the way we love God, the way we love others, it's intertwined. You can't just do one or the other. And so we sin or we miss the goal when we fail to love God or love other people the way that we're supposed to, the way that they deserve, the way we've been created to do. In the midst of a broken world, you know, God didn't create it to be this way, but we decided that we kind of wanted to have life on our own terms. We wanted to make our own decisions, and we didn't trust God fully in the beginning. This first story of man and woman didn't trust God fully, and so Jesus steps down into a broken world, and he lives a perfect life. He came in the middle of it. He didn't avoid us, and he ultimately lived a perfect life, and he died for us. He paid the price for our mistakes, for the ways that we missed the goal, our sins. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but on Good Friday is the day that he was crucified, and he was in the tomb, and then Easter Sunday we celebrate that he is risen. Yes! I always like to see, like, somebody who's going to be the first one, okay? Extra eggs for this one out here after service. Uh, Mark chapter 16, if you guys have Bibles or the Bible app, you can read there. We also put a lot of the verses on the screen, but it says, very early on Sunday morning, just after the setup team got to South Hills to start working, I'm just kidding, uh, on the, uh, where, uh, that's why you don't go off script, Chris. Easter, that's what we were talking about. Just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. They went to the tomb, just as a side note, because they didn't think that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. He had said he was going to. He had told them he was going to. They all nodded their heads and said yes. And then three days later, they were like, all right, let's go to the tomb. And these women were going to continue the burial process. On their way to the tomb, they're asking each other, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Now go and tell his disciples, which is funny because the disciples should have already known because Jesus already told them, but they're, they're not there. They're all sad and alone and hiding. And this angel tells them, go and tell the disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there again just as he told you, you know, this is kind of, you can almost picture the angel kind of rolling his eyes before he died. He said this was going to happen. He's not here. He's risen. And this is the Easter story. It's insane to me because I grew up thinking that the disciples, like, man, if I could only be as good as the disciples, if I could only believe as much as the disciples, but the disciples lived with Jesus. They saw the miracles. They heard the teachings firsthand and they didn't believe that he was actually going to rise from the dead like he said he would. They're still looking. They're still searching. Uh, every family kind of has a thing. I don't know if your family has a thing, and maybe you'll figure out what that is as I talk, but our family's thing, we decided like a year ago, is that we go to Disneyland. 
Well, we scream a lot, and then we also go to Disney. It's like two different things. Our family, we combine those things. But uh, we, uh, I have Mondays off, and so a lot of times we'll just take the kids. Uh, we'll go to Disneyland. We have passes, and we just go, and it's, I mean, we pay for the passes, but other than that, we get to go, and we pack lunches. Our kids eat peanut butter and jelly while I eat churros and corn on the cob. It's like the ultimate parent thing to do. Like, no, I packed you a sandwich. I'll take a Sunday. Uh, <laughs> But we go, and this last week we were there, and they're doing this Easter egg hunt at Disneyland, and there's a map and stickers, and we're running all over the park, and it's insane. And, but all these giant Easter eggs are kind of above, they're, they're around the park, and you got to look up so the crowd doesn't hide them. And so we're walking around, and my seven-year-old, he's almost seven, he's trying to find these eggs. And we go to this one building where we know that there's an Easter egg here, and so my wife and I are trying to, not, you know, we're trying to help him do the hunt part, right? So we're not just giving him all the answers. So we go, and each station, the employees have a little rhyme that they say that's supposed to give the kids hints. And so my son, Mason, goes up. He's like, can I have a hint to where the Easter egg is, please? And then the employee says, like, whatever the little rhyme is. And my wife and I were kind of standing back. And, uh, and so they say the rhyme, and he just kind of looks at him like, I'm going to need a little bit more than that, basically. You know, it's just like, that's not going to be enough for me. Uh, kind of verse two, and I don't know what he was waiting for, but he's waiting. And, and then uh, so they try and say other things. They're like, well... It's higher than you are. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to need a little bit more, you know. And, and so we're standing there. It's probably like five minutes of these people. And they're just eventually like, it's on the, tr you just got to step back a little bit. It's up here. It's on top of the thing. Like they just, they can't figure out how to help him find it anymore. They're giving him as much information as they can. And he still can't figure it out. And I feel like there's this aspect of what the disciples were dealing with. There's this aspect for us that as much as we might hear Something as much as we might believe that it's true or that it exists, there's still a, a thing inside of us that is difficult to believe or to understand or to comprehend. And a lot of times we filter that through our own understanding. Easter Sunday, Jesus' death and resurrection is the turning point when God redeems the broken world. He doesn't come to judge the world. He comes to help redeem the world, to help redeem and save people. The only way to save us from the spiritual disease of sin, of our brokenness, is to take it on himself. In 1 Peter 2, uh, it says this. This is another letter to one of the first churches. It says this. He, talking about Jesus, he personally carried our sins on his body in the, in the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. There's this exchange that's happening Jesus, in the way that he lived, the way that he loved, the way that he died for us, the way that he overcame the grave, he did these things for us, to help us, to make us whole, to make a new way for us to be in relationship with him, to become whole people. Our humanity, in our humanity, we would, we would generally avoid pain and discomfort. Everything about us, when we see something that's awkward or we don't want to do, we just kind of avoid it. Uh, my other son is two, and every day when he gets up from his nap, he climbs out of his crib like a good two-year-old, and he comes down the stairs, and sometimes there's like a scent that comes down the stairs with him because he's not potty trained yet. And my wife and I play this little game of who can pretend like it doesn't smell bad the longest. Uh, and we're trying to avoid this situation. We're trying to see, man, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like it. I'm not going to have that look on my face like, do you smell that? I'm going to pretend like I have no clue what's going on. 
and we play this little game, but this is our, kind of our nature. When we see, when we know that we hurt somebody, we don't naturally go and try and make it right. We usually try and just wait it out to see if things smooth over. If we're in an argument or disagreement with our spouse or we feel like we're drifting in a relationship, our natural inclination isn't to go and make things right and have the awkward conversation. Our natural inc inclination is to say, usually if you ignore things, they just get better which is just so smart. But this is kind of the way that we naturally act. This is the way that we, as humans, we naturally do this. But Jesus, he saw the pain, he saw the brokenness, he realized that we couldn't do it on our own and he didn't ignore it, but he actually comes into the situation. He shows up, up close, takes it upon himself and overcomes sin and death on the cross. The miracle of Easter isn't that Jesus was able to avoid death it's that he had the power to overcome death. The human thing to do is avoid it, run from it, find another way. That's the human thing to do. The power of what we believe is that it's not that Jesus avoided death, it's that he not only died, but he overcame death and conquered the grave is what we believe because of his love for us. So we all have these ways that we look to avoid obstacles and pain or avoid hopelessness or disillusionment. Uh, there's times that we feel guilt or failure or shame or these things in our lives and, and we want to avoid them as much as possible. But what I want to talk about today, this idea of what Easter is, is that God says, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to look all of the brokenness in the face and I'm going to give my life for you and I'm going to be able to overcome sin and shame and death. I can overcome that. Through Jesus' death, our brokenness no longer has power over us. And through his resurrection, we have the power to overcome obstacles and pain and hopelessness and our past. I talked a little bit about kind of growing up. I, I grew up in church, and then when I was 17, I kind of left and did my own thing and just really didn't know what I believed anymore and um, ultimately felt like God kind of draw me back and say, I didn't have like this really spiritual experience. It was, I kind of screwed up my life so bad that I kind of got this sense that I was better off just trying to be a Christian than I was not. It's not that I loved God so much, it's that I hated myself so much. That I was like, okay, I'll try whatever it is. And so I came back and slippery slope ended up feeling like I was supposed to become a pastor and still struggling with a lot of the fears and the, the guilt and the shame and past that I had. And as I was becoming a pastor, I, I kind of had this idea of, because I'd seen pastors and they always have the answers and they, it feels like they always know the Bible verse that they're supposed to say and they always know the right words that they're supposed to pray and, and every difficult situation, they know what to say in that situation. And so I, now I have to be able to do that. I have to know all the answers and I have to have the, the right verse every single time and I have to not have any struggles at all and I have to have the perfect marriage and my kids are perfect and holy and they just sing worship songs before dinner every night. And this is all true. No, I was kidding. And so there was this, this fear that I had and this idea that I had that I had to appear a certain way because I'm now following Jesus and even more so because now of this responsibility that I have of a pastor. And I carried that around. And ultimately what happened is I kept up this picture for a long time, but inside I was totally a mess of guilt, of decisions that I'd made in the past that I'd never told anybody about, shame, fear of not having the right answers on the inside, but on the outside, I always had the right answers. Like, it was, it was a mess. 
There's this peace for me that, that I wanted to be able to control. I wanted to be able to handle it on my own, but I couldn't do it on my own. This is the, the story. This is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus came to do for us what we can't do on our own. That's, that's the gift of Jesus. Paul wrote this in, in Romans, another letter to an early church. He said, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same spirit, so Jesus came, he, he defeated sin, he defeated death, we celebrate the resurrection on Easter, and the, the power that was able to rise, raise Jesus from the dead now lives in us. This, the power that when Jesus was able to do these miracles, when he calmed the storm, when he, when he hung out with the outcasts, when he was okay not being respected and being mocked and questioned and, and whatever it was, that same power now lives in us because of the resurrection, because of what Jesus did for us. But I don't always feel like I have this power. I don't always feel like I can't overcome. I feel like circumstances and life get to me. I feel defeated by my own decisions all the time. It's not like I have a past, although I do. It's like I've got a, a present. I've got a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and I've got a marriage that I'm trying to be a good husband, and I've got kids that I'm trying to not kind of do over again what my dad did in our lives, and, and it's every day, and I've got these things that are going on, and I want to control them, and I want to I overcome these habits and attitudes and the struggles that I have. And one of the main ways that I remain unable to do that is because I never really acknowledge that it's a struggle that I have. Because there's shame when you're honest about your struggles. There's guilt. We're, we're, we're afraid of that. We don't want people to think that we can't or that we aren't. We want people to think that we can and that we are. When we tell our stories, when we're honest about our lives, we start to see God's power show up in a different way. There's a passage in the book of Revelation, one of the last books in the Bible, and it's this verse that's meant a lot to me over the last few years. And it's talking about how we overcome Satan, how we overcome the enemy. And it says this. It says, they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb. And this is a, a, a phrase that's referring to Jesus' sacrifice for us, the way that he paid for our sins. It says, they overcame the enemy, darkness, guilt, shame, fear, all of these things that we struggle with, addictions, by the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice of Jesus, and by the word of their testimony which is like a real old school church world of, does somebody have a testimony? Like, I don't know if you guys grew up in a church like that. A testimony is a story. So we overcome darkness and shame and fear because of what Jesus did for us and because of our story, because of what we've been through, because of what we're dealing with now. Like that doesn't make much sense to us because we want to put this perfect image forward. But this is how it says we overcome Jesus said that the enemy wants to steal our joy. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy our lives. But in this verse, we see that we can overcome this by accepting and understanding this gift of Jesus' sacrifice for us and by the word of our testimony, the power of our stories. Our stories are powerful because when we tell them, they no longer are hidden inside of us. They're, never, they're not wrapped in shame or fear anymore. For me, I told you some of my story. I wrote down a few words here. 
I thought that I had to be a perfect pastor. And as long as I don't say this out loud, I will continue to have to be a perfect pastor. And what I've learned and what I've realized over the last few years, and I'm still struggling to learn, is that I just need to be authentic. And when I say this, when I say my story in just a few words on a piece of cardboard, it frees me from having to be perfect because now you all know that I'm not perfect. Because now you all know that I'm just trying to be honest. I'm not trying to be perfect. I now have the freedom to say I don't know. I don't have the perfect answer for the challenge that you're dealing with. I don't have the, the perfect thing to say when you get the doctor's report and it's not what you wanted. I, I don't know how to draw your relationship back together. I have ideas and I would love to stand with you in it, but I don't have the perfect answers all the time. But I'm able to overcome my struggles because of the sacrifice that Jesus had with me, for me, and because of my story, because I'm able to tell my story. There's people in our church that I've asked to share parts of their stories, parts of their testimonies, if we're going to go old school church with this. And it's just a few words. We're not doing microphones. These aren't video stories. These are just people that have had obstacles or addictions. They've had challenges or frustrations, things that they've struggled with in their lives. And because of who God is, because of how they have trusted God, they have seen him help them overcome and they can continue to overcome because of who Jesus is, the way he loves them, and because they're able to tell their stories. So the band is going to play, and we're going to have these people come forward and share their stories.